0: I don't know what to about me. Have out of me. Don't to lack Welcome no back to the 126 Pod. We have a special two-part episode where we interview Minster's own Burke Granger. In part one, we discuss how we got started as a baseball scout, how college baseball has changed over the last 20 years, and the origin of the one and only Burtaholics. No spoilers for part two. Let's get right into it. And we would like to welcome Burt Granger to the 126 Pod.
1: Hey, Bert? what's up, guys? How yeah. Great. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks yeah. for being here, Burke. We've been circling this one for a while.
1: Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I assumed my invitation got lost in the mail. I hadn't, I hadn't heard from you guys. You guys are rising up the podcast charts. And then uh, so you, guys, you guys must have had a guest cancel. And I, I'm the last minute replacement.
2: No, oh, no, no, no. We got a lot. We've been wanting to get you on. This was strategic. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, but why don't you take, take us off here, Jackson?
0: Um, how has your um, family been doing during the uh, pandemic?
2: Everybody good?
1: Well, we're in like, what, the fourth year of the pandemic. So the first two years, or it just feels that way. Um, yeah. We, we've been good. We've uh, My wife and I have been lucky enough to be able to work from home uh, since this thing started. Uh, the kids have been, been at school most of the time, unless there's a, a an outbreak and then they, they yeah. switch to hybrid, but I mean, everyone's, everyone's safe and healthy. And I guess that's all you can, that's all you can ask for in these times.
0: Yeah. Um, a lot of people want to know this, including me. Um, can you tell me what a burkaholic is?
1: Oh this is a great this is a great question. And these are the hard-hitting questions that frankly I don't get on any other podcast that I do. A Burkeaholic um is someone that just can't get enough Burke Burke Granger. Um there's not that many of them because because I'm not that addictive, but um that term how were, so how, how many were there at its peak? About a dozen, about a I I bought a a dozen Berkaholic t-shirts and they sold out quickly. Um, If I was in this for the money, I I would have made more, but I think it's best that there's a limited edition. So that term, that term originated while we were playing a game called strikeout in Adam Clooney's uh, backyard. It's a, it's a one-on-one baseball game. And if you ever watch professional wrestling, Jackson, I kind of take the persona of what's called a heel. So I, my job is to go out there and get the crowd uh, turned against me. And that really fuels my energy. So when the crowd is booing me, I perform better. So I like to go out there, insult the crowd. Ultimately, I win them over on my side. And those, those people that that love to hate me became the burkaholics. So they, they cheer for me, uh, but they kind of hate to do so. And it's really because... I'm so good. i am am a, I'm a six time world champion of the world in that tournament, uh, the strikeout tournament. And it, that's what, that's what spurred the burkaholic movement.
2: Are there any burkaholics still out there today that may be listening that, that still that we may know of, we'll just start with that. Any Berkaholics we may know of or Jackson that Jackson may know,
1: um, so you guys, you guys live in Minster, Ohio, of course, my hometown, um, and your athletic director, Josh Clooney, uh, he's not a burkaholic, but his wife, Julie Clooney is a Berkaholic. And every now and then I'll see her wearing a burkaholic t-shirt. <laughs> um, I, I ran into, I ran into Aaron Post. He's from uh, St. Henry and old, an old high school and college friend, um, And he reminded, he, he reminded his kids of the whole workaholic story. Um, We, we, we just ran into each other at, at the, the outlets a couple of months ago and and he brought that up and it's really difficult to explain to people uh, that didn't under that weren't around during that time, because it's, it's ludicrous. It's not like we can blame um, this on us being young because we were, in our, in our late 20s, early 30s, when we were doing this, so um, we knew better. We just didn't. Uh, we didn't listen to reason. The one that you may know
2: of Jackson is your. It's is your is your nephew or cousin. Um,
1: which, our power which one, our
2: power forward
1: at uh, Minster two years ago, uh, Cody Cody Frericks. Cody Frericks was a big workaholic. Yeah, he he's he's one of the chairman of the of the fan club. I think. <laughs>
2: He may also have been part of the fan club that just the Brookhawk fan club just carried on through alumni softball tournaments and was just kind of <laughs> yeah. outside the gate waiting for autographs, not only at the Clooney Classic strikeout tournament, but but at just any other athletic event that you were to participate in.
1: Yeah, he would hang around the dugout. And, and this was, you know, years before you knew him, Howie. That's probably how you got to know him. And then a couple of years later, he's this six foot six power forward for the basketball team.
2: (laughs) I was trying to describe to Jackson uh, your history. And I just said, he's a Berkaholic. There's a lot of holics. (laughs) He had a big following. So, so we thought we'd start off with that just to get it going. And I'm glad you mentioned the strikeout tournament. There's, there's a lot of uh, discussion last year, uh, clinic classic canceled by injury and uh, COVID injury to the, the founder. But uh, it's, there's a lot of talk about getting the the next generation of of strikeout tournament participants like yourself, Jackson, back in this. Ian Clooney, uh, also part of the boy clan, uh, get the those guys back into it to start uh, to start it back up while the uh, the elder statesmen and six time champions of the world world champions of the world can uh, can can watch. Yeah, them. I mean,
1: I'll go out there, throw the first pitch, take some pictures with you know kiss babies, but I'm my playing days are beyond me. Um, the last time I played in the alumni tournament, I I pulled a muscle in my calf on a ball that wasn't even hit to me. Uh, so, I I don't think I can be trusted to do to do the Cluny Classic anymore. I'm 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 there for my appearance fee and I'm out the door.
2: Yeah, I feel like the one year you had a cape on, as well, you mentioned the pro wrestler thing. I think there was something um, after you wanted somebody may have just crowned you or put a Superman cape on or something. But
1: yeah, I mean I bought it myself. Like. <laughs> You have to bring your own self-promotion when you go to these things. Uh, you, you fake it until you make it, as you will. So, I tried to make a name for myself before, but, and then it, eventually it catches on with with the people, and you become popular.
2: Love it. Well, we wanted so we wanted to start off with that, but we also wanted to talk about. There's a lot of things we want to get to today. But tell us what you're doing now, because we a lot of people around here will say, "Hey, what does Bert Granger do?" <laughs> and I'll say, you know, he, he works this, he works that. But, you know, like there's a lot of people that, you know, follow you on Twitter that will see some of your posts that obviously follow you around draft time when you're all over the place. Mm-hmm. But tell us exactly what you're doing uh, right now.
1: So I work for a company called D1Baseball.com, and they cover the 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 collegiate baseball ranks, uh, particularly Division One baseball. And they brought me on. Uh, this will be my third season season. They brought me on two years ago to cover the midwest for him. they have a, they have a big presence obviously in the pack the Pac 12 the sec the acc uh there wasn't a lot of coverage in these flyover states um so prior to that I, I had started my own blog on the internet and met a couple of the guys uh and they reached out to me to see if i would come work for them. and i was a huge fan of these guys so even though I'm, I'm probably older than them or their age, like I feel like I grew up reading some of these guys uh, on this website. And uh, so it's a pretty big honor to, to be asked to come and join them and, and, you know, make a little bit of money covering college baseball, being paid to, to travel around the Midwest, go to college baseball games. Uh, it's really um, kind of something I've always wanted to do. And it's, it's something I do. It's a passion. It's something I do on pretty much nights and weekends away from my, my day job. Uh, so whereas my other friends might be um, when they get an opportunity for free time, they might go golfing. I'm going to baseball games. And that's kind of how I spend my, my free time.
0: Um, How did you get started in this business?
1: Yeah. So it's one of those things where I had, um, I had, I had opinions that I wanted to get out there, and like anyone, I was like, "Well, I, I'll just start a website." Rather, it never occurred to me to try to apply and get a job writing for another website. I was like, "I'll just start my own website," and that and that website was prospectjunkies.com. Now, where we have our first know, podcast, it is and yeah, You're
2: going um, way back to SoundCloud, we had our first <laughs> uh, my first pod ever. Uh, That's right. Six, seven years ago. But then when I think we got booted off the internet, we went made by Pino on and he started cussing. And <laughs> so that was the end of
1: that. So the thing is that, you know, I, I had an idea to start a website with no technical expertise to, <laughs> or to know how to do that. Um, so thankfully, and this is a lesson for you, Jackson, and that you can take with you the rest of your life. Surround yourself with talented people because I reached out to Howie to be like, Hey, I want to do a podcast. I don't know how to do it. Howie, you come on and interview, interview me? Here's the questions. Podcasts. Can
2: you ask me yeah. these things? So
1: <laughs> I reached out, I reached out to Kurt Albers, who, who you guys know who, who's an amazing graphic designer. I'm like, Hey, can you design a logo and a website? And he just did all that for me, uh, you know, for the price of price of a few beers. So, um, and then i you know he he gave me a crash course and okay once you write an article here's how you get it up online so i did that and this was probably 10 years ago and it eventually just it it gained it gained a following i got brought on uh by another another site called 2080 baseball um and then from 2080 baseball the guys at at d1 baseball hired me and so right now how many people for d1 baseball
2: do what you do how many guys or girls are there out there that are covering the the collegiate game or let me let me stop there is it only the collegiate game or is it high school uh high school
1: to college or is it college to pro or is it a little bit of both it's just so d1 baseball just focuses on the division one baseball college ranks we, are we partnered with prep baseball report and they cover the high school side So whenever there is crossover in items like recruiting or draft stuff, where in the draft high school and college players are eligible, we'll partner with them and rankings mesh dovetail our rankings together. We're bringing their high school rankings with our college rankings to, uh, to get a, uh, a combined report. And then tell us about the draft
2: because that's where, like you, I feel like that's your Christmas when you're online and you're going. Through oh, it's the whatever. best. You're, you're like, uh, you know, you're like woge for the NBA, you know, predicting picks and your, and your analysis and everything like that. So like, what is, what is like ramping up to the MLB draft look like for you?
1: So the draft is really, it's 12 months in the making because a week after a previous draft cycle ends, I go to my first event for the next cycle. So this year, this past year, the draft was in June. Uh, The very next week I was in Hoover, Alabama for the perfect game national showcase where they bring down the top 300 kids from the high school class for the following, for the next year's draft. So, so you can start getting to know those high school kids. And typically this past year with COVID uh, things got messed up, but there's collegiate summer leagues that Howie, I know you're familiar with where, so I'm traveling around and getting looks at. Those would be rising, uh, rising college juniors typically, going in and scouting them, getting ready to um, to evaluate them for the for the next draft cycle. Then there's fall ball. I try to make it to to a lot of the colleges around the fall to get get looks at players. Then the winter, <laughs> then the winter when no one is playing, I'm still making it out to private workouts and stuff like that uh, that are indoors. And then, I mean, now we're, we're less than 30 days away from the college baseball season starting. Uh, so I'll be out on the road again uh, here in, here in about a month. So it's a lot of work. It's typically ramping up to the draft. It's, I usually am, am gone every other weekend. The other weekends I, I, I try to stay home. Fortunately, I have, you know, Ohio state here in my own backyard where I can get over there um, and still, still make it back and sleep in my own bed and not in a, in a, Hampton Inn somewhere in, in the middle of Indiana. So um, it, it's, a, it's a lot of work, but it's it's really what I love to do. And uh, it, it's it's time away from the family, but my wife also knows that if I'm not doing this type of stuff, um, I'm just going crazy. And that, that drives her crazy when I'm unhappy and, and walking, pacing around the house, wishing I was at a baseball game.
0: Um, how many games do you get to in a year?
1: Oh man, that's another good question. I don't. I don't get asked these good questions when I go on other podcasts. Um, man, I bet it's. I bet it's fifty games a year, um, which which is a lot for like a normal person, you know. The, because I, I am going to games, you know, every other weekend or most weekends, not not a whole lot during the week unless there's a midweek game here at Ohio State. But then when you compare that, so compared to the average fan, I'm at the ballpark quite a bit, but then I compare myself to a scout, someone who works for a major league affiliate. And I probably see a fifth, an eighth of the games that they see, like they are, they are insane. They're going, the way they they're able to coordinate their schedules, um, they're going to a noon game in Indianapolis and then still making it down for a night game in Louisville. And then the next day they're over in Lexington. Um, I do some of that, but they're much more efficient. And they're on the road 300 days out of the year, seeing seeing so many more games than I could even ever, ever, ever imagine seeing.
2: So you said so the scouts are out there doing that. So can you describe the different levels of scouts? Because I feel like there's – it's been years since I've really – like even talked about this or heard about it, but there's like associate scouts versus the next level scout versus the next level scout. Like who are, what levels of scouts? And can you just maybe define like what those levels and processes are from the guy that's sitting next to you at the Ohio state game versus the guy that then comes that guy's boss and the the hierarchy there from the organization. Yeah.
1: So the, the scouts that I typically interact with most are area scouts and they're hired. It's, it's a lot like it sounds they're hired to cover a geographic area and it typically depends on, on the size of the States they're asked to cover. It is, is correlates to how many States they'll cover. So around here in my area, an area scout will typically cover like four States. It'll be Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky. So as I'm traveling around and, and almost every major league team will have, An area scout in each area so they might have 12 area scouts to cover the country dividing up states you know other scouts because of the size of of states obviously texas is a huge state there'll just be one scout for each team that covers all of texas right but around here i'm running into the same like 30 scouts almost every game i go to um there's just because there's a lot of crossover i'm running in and seeing seeing area scouts. Um, now they'll have to, sometimes they'll have associate scouts that report to them or what are what are sometimes called bird dogs. Um, those are typically part-time or unpaid positions, um, where they might just be relying on a high school coach to say, all right, any draft eligible, a draft worthy prospects that comes, comes through your high school field. Give me a, show. G- yeah. give me a call. Um, and so they an, area, might,
2: an area scout, it would be a full-time job as an area, an area scout?
1: scout. Yeah. Area scout's a full-time job. And there's guys that I know a, a lot, especially in my region, there's guys that have been doing this for 35, 40 years, just that are, you know, in their sixties, just driving around, like spending 300 days away from home in, Mar- in a Marriott, like, and it's <laughs> warming up your, your burrito in the, in the hotel lobby. It's a, it's a rough life. Um, so, and then those guys report up to typically it's regional supervisors where there might be, let's say four of those, they'll divide the country in half or into fourths. And let's say there's a, there's one that covers the entire Midwest and he'll have like three or four area scouts under him. And then there's cross checkers above those supervisors. And then you get into like scouting directors would be the boss of bosses at the scouting level who report up to the general manager. Wow, so a lot of layers. It is. It's once you would get into a team, it, there, there's a lot, a lot of promotions you would need to get up to like that general manager level. You know, the, talking about there's only 30 general managers in the world. It's, it's a, it's a difficult job to get. How many
2: GMs – I know there's some exceptions because some have unique experiences playing, coaching, in the game at executive roles. How many GMs work their way up through the scouting ranks to you know become that, that general manager for a major league team?
1: I would say it's less now than what it used to be. I think the trend is going away from that and more so – more so those general manager jobs are going to executives that came up on the analytics and operational side. Those, those people that maybe broke into the business, um, with an advanced degree in statistics from Harvard and running these analytical models that, that became so popular in Moneyball and have continued to, to gain prominence since then. I'd say that's where the game is going in terms of, General managers now come from that side of the the house more so than the the scouting, the traditional scouting side. And we're seeing scouts every year kind of get get laid off in favor of um, these more analytical um, prospects.
0: Um, How much do MLB scouts look at advanced metrics and what stats matter most?
1: So That's a, another good question. Um, I think a, a good percentage of scouts now in today's game look at, look at advanced metrics. Um, maybe not at the area scout level, but when you get beyond, um, teams are relying on, major league teams are relying on their analytical departments to help help identify and confirm that the area scouts at the games are that, that the players that they're identifying as, as potential draftees that the data tells the same story that they're telling a data-driven story, the data backs up what they're seeing in the ballpark. So um, in the, in the, in the sixties, the seventies scouting originated as you know, it was a form of data collection. You go to the game and you have your radar gun and your stopwatch and you're collecting data and writing it down. Nowadays, at at most of the college ballparks, you have um, TrackMan that can tell that for you. So the need for that data collection um, has lessened because TrackMan can very accurately say, on this day, Howie Corona pitched within this velocity range. This is how much his breaking ball broke. Uh, This was the separation of his changeup and his fastball. This is how fast he ran from home to first base, from home to third base. Um, Now scouts are still at the game with their stopwatch doing that old school data collection for their, for their own scouting reports. Um, But it's, but it's less important than it was um, 30 years ago. Now that, now that all that data is being collected, and provided to these major league teams, they need to figure out what to do with it. Um, so the second part of that question is, so the first part, yeah, they're looking at data quite a bit. It might not be the scouts themselves, but the teams, uh, have every team in major league baseball has an analytical department. That's evaluating those stats and making sure it matches up with the scouts evaluation they're in, making sure the data matches the eye test. Um, as for, for what, what stats matter most Um, for me, the, the ones that I like to look at um, and when I'm looking at a college player, there's so many other variables, certain ballparks are, are small, Um, certain competition, you know, if, if a guy, there was a guy from Louisville a couple years ago, Brandon McKay, who was a first round pick as both a a hitter and a pitcher uh, but he wasn't hitting a lot of home runs in ACC play there was one game in the midweek playing against like Western Kentucky where he hit four home runs. So that's going to inflate his stats, but it's not taking into account his opponent because he wasn't playing against North Carolina and another first round pick that weekend. He was playing against a guy who's not going to be playing baseball the year after that. Um, So you have to take those things into consideration. So when I'm looking at stats at the college level, there's not a lot of good analytical stats I can look at. I do rely on, on OPS um one one that i look at is isolated or iso isolated power which really measures how many extra base hits the guy's hitting so if if a guy is hitting 340 and has a low iso uh with metal bats in college um that's a fairly good indicator that when he translates to wood bats he's not going to be able to impact the baseball enough to get extra base hits in professional ball to be a quality major leaguer, and you don't see a lot of those guys in today's game. This isn't the the 1980s Cardinals where there's guys you know slapping the ball on astroturf and trying to trying to run sprint to first base. That 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 type of philosophy is extinct. Uh, you need to be able to impact the baseball and drive, drive. At least you don't need to hit home runs, but you need to be able to drive the ball into the gap in today's game.
2: We'll get to the 80s Cardinals here in a little bit. <laughs> a few thoughts there on that team and some of the players yeah there a couple more uh, things we want to get to we'll get another question Jackson
0: um how have you gotten better over the course of your scouting career
1: that's you're, you're asking really good questions man so the the one thing is you got to recognize when you're wrong and learn from your mistakes every everyone this is a very speculative subjective um, business. And you're going to think you know what you're doing, and ultimately you're going to be proven wrong about a player. You're going to think some player is really good; he's going to turn out to be garbage. You're going to you're going to dismiss a player as not being very good, and he's going to prove you wrong, and he's going to be really good. So, what what you need to do, and this this applies to any facet of life, not just scouting, is when you make mistakes, because you're ultimately going to make mistakes, try to figure out the root cause. What did I do wrong? Um, and then and then fix it going forward that's the, that's really the only thing you can do. Um, and try to learn from your successes too, because when you do something right, it's likely not just luck, figure out what did I do in this instance and how did that, how does that different than when I screwed it up the last time I did it? So that's kind of a broad answer, but that's really what I try to do and getting better at, at this day to day.
0: Um, How many of the top prospects um, are one-sport athletes?
1: Not many, Um, at least early on. Like by the time they get to maybe their senior year in high school, they might start to specialize. But anytime I hear, as I'm covering college baseball, coaches, I I speak to a lot of the coaches in the Big 10 and when they're bragging about a player, they're telling me how athletic he is they're talking about his accomplishments in other sports this guy was an all-state swimmer he was an all-state basketball player he was you know he played quarterback on the football team um those types of things go long go a long way. Uh, I don't see a, a ton of kids that specialize in high school go on and play uh, baseball at a high level I'm sure it happens but the success stories that coaches want to share and tell me about, are those kids with diverse backgrounds. And they, they seem to like those kids that have, a, have different types of, of muscle memory, that, that don't just specialize in throwing a ball from 60 feet, 6 inches. So that's one aspect of it you're, you have uh, different disciplines. You can learn different things. And Jackson, you're probably already seeing this. There are different strengths that you learn playing football than you get from playing basketball. And baseball and other things. So I would encourage everyone to play as many sports as possible. Um to learn those those lessons in life, because uh, most of us aren't gonna go on and play college or, pro- or professional baseball professional sports anyway. Um, but you know, there there was I didn't go on and play college, you know, football. I played I played some college baseball, but I learned a lot of lessons in football about discipline, about structure, about order that m- that maybe didn't necessarily translate into baseball. Um, but I was still able to take what I learned and apply it uh, in my job as a professional. So um, yeah, I, I think that's, that sums it up.
2: Yeah. Well, so what would you say, kind of looking back at that, what are the biggest differences in your opinion from someone that played college ball from we'll just generalize and say 20 years ago until what the kids, high school and college kids are doing today. And I think specifically, whether it be year round training, maybe not specializing in one sport, but whether it be year round or weights or data and video, like what what are the things now that kids are doing that we didn't do a long time
1: ago? A lot of it is access to indoor facilities around here. Like it's, there's a higher percentage of kids in major league baseball and professional. Let's just focus on baseball. There's a higher percentage of kids in major league baseball that grew up in warm weather States. Now, are they born better in Florida and California? Of course not, but they have better access to be able to play year round. And in Ohio in the past you know, 10 to 20 years, we do have some indoor facilities here in Columbus. We have the Bo Jackson dome um, where kids now can go in the winter and do baseball camps and there's batting cages in there. Um, and there's also football stuff. Like you, you could, they do soccer in there. They do football. Um, so it's those types of things I think are helping to narrow that gap a little bit, um, but the other part of this, the other part of Jackson's question earlier about specialization is coaches not only want to see players with diverse athletic backgrounds. Part of it is you need some time to for arm rest, especially if you're a pitcher. Like there are benefits to to a hitter in getting a lot of reps hitting. You know, when I when I grew up, when I was Jackson's age in little league, we played like 10 to 13 games and I don't necessarily think kids should be playing 80 games at that level, but they should be playing more than they should be getting more than 40 at bats through the course of a calendar year, which is what I got growing up. Um, Now there are opportunities to do so, but if you're a pitcher, what I don't like to see is competitive games taking place in January, which, which you see now in Florida and California through these events held by by trade groups that they make money in doing it. And in turn, they get the player um, some press, some publicity, but if if you're playing multiple sports, you're, you're using a whole new set of muscles. If you can set the baseball down and play basketball for four months during the winter, um, I feel like you can come back a little stronger. There's still baseball exercises you can do to maintain your flexibility, maintain that range of motion um, without, without losing any utility when you you get back in April or get back in uh, February and pick the baseball up again.
2: Like, I feel like there was maybe a guy back in Fort Wayne growing up that had access to the whatever, you know, so we maybe got like one time a winter, we'd go field some grounders or something like that. Did you guys have anything around here? Was there any anybody's shed barn, anything that you guys would go take a few cuts or something?
1: No. Like the, the high school gym, like you the gymnasium, you would go in and hit like soft, hit rubber balls. Um, yeah. But that was, you know, that was the guys that didn't play basketball. Yeah. If you, and you know, during football, there was no, there was no fall ball that we participated in growing up either um, for baseball. It was, it was very seasonal. Base- baseball season ended, in July August if if you were lucky if you played like American legion or something then you went right into football it was very um there was not there wasn't a lot of crossover back then that the kids have to deal with now and the, the pressure from coaches to to you pick know. one sport over another Just to keep doing it yeah
0: all right everybody That wraps up part one with Burke Ranger. We will drop part two tomorrow where we discuss the most recent Hall of Fame voting and my dad tries to convince Burke that Ozzie Smith is not Hall of Fame worthy. New York City! City. You are now rapping rapping. With with 56. You gotta love it, you gotta love it. I just wanna chill and twist a lot. Catch stunts in my 745. You drive me crazy, shorty. I need to see
1: you and feel you next to me. I provide everything you need and I like your smile, I don't wanna see you cry. Got some questions that I gotta ask, and I
0: hope you can come over there.